Our scripture today comes to us from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Andrew, and thanks for all of the incredible music this morning from the very beginning of the service and we haven't heard it all yet there's more to come so grateful and what a blessed congregation we are to have this this awesome music week after week mickey and i were away last week and are delighted to be back with you today i heard great reports about the sermon and the music and the whole works last week and uh, we miss being here but it's good to uh, good to be back home the major events and the critical moments in the life of Jesus were, according to Luke's gospel, marked by prayer. Over and over and over again, it, it happens. I want to take a moment for us to consider some of those occasions before we move on. Chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, underline that, and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 12, Jesus naming the 12 apostles. That's what's happening here. What had he been doing prior to making these choices? In those days, we were told he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples and he chose from among them 12 to be named apostles. Apostle means one who is sent. And then in chapter 9, beginning with verse 18, a familiar incident. It begins like this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, it's sold. And then it says with the disciples, he must have been off to the side. And he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist or Elijah or others that one of the old prophets has risen from the dead. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? And they said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter responded, of course, it was Peter. 
But he charged and commanded them. Jesus said, tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. When the time for this suffering and rejection came, Jesus also prayed. He prayed a lot, didn't he? He prayed all the time. Part of the account is in chapter 22, beginning with verse 39. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And when he rose from prayer, he came and found the disciples sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray that you enter not into temptation. And then this brings us up to our gospel lesson for today that Andrew read a moment ago, the story of the transfiguration. The last Sunday of the Epiphany season is Transfiguration Sunday. It acts as a bridge, really, between this season of Epiphany and Revelation and the season of Lent, which is upon us. From the mountaintop, they could see the suffering and the pain and the difficulties yet to come. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. This was his inner circle. These were the folks who spent the most time with Jesus. These are the folks that he called on and relied on and was close to. And went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, there's the phrase again, and as he was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered and his raiment, his garment his robe became white as snow. And behold, two men talked with him. Two men that were, to use the words of Jerry Clower, two guys who had been for a long time graveyard dead. Moses and Elijah appeared in glory. Imagine this scene, this, this setting. And they spoke of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. And you can find other examples where Jesus had come to a critical juncture in his life and he prayed. He always prayed. But I want to focus on that gospel lesson today and more specifically on that particular phrase, and as he was praying. And as he was praying, what? He was transformed. He was transfigured. He was literally changed before their very eyes. Do things change as we pray? What are some of the ways we could complete and begin a sentence that starts with the phrase, and as we were praying? How about, and as we were praying, sickness was transformed into healing and wholeness. There's a wonderful promise of healing in the Bible. Actually, there are several, but in the book of James, one that we refer to often, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. Dr. Charles Allen, in his book, All Things Are Possible Through Prayer, and some of you may have a copy of that, he knows that the word used here is save instead of heal. God's saving of the sick may include physical healing, but not in every case. 
He doesn't always promise physical healing, but if faith is exercised, God always promises a saving, a wholeness, an entering into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us whole people even when we suffer. And that's more important, isn't it? Often it is that sickness is used by God to create or stir up faith in our lives. Now, don't hear me saying that God causes the sickness. I'm not, I'm not there. But that God uses sickness and suffering and pain and brokenness to stir up faith in our lives, to give birth to faith in our lives. I believe that happens. And Charles Allen wanted to tell of a great comedian. Some of you may remember. I don't remember this guy. Maybe before my time. I'm not sure. But Sir Harry Louder. And one day the news came to him that his son had been killed. And of course, he was shocked to the core of his being, to the depth of his soul. And after he had been able, after he had been able for a while to think about this and to pray about it, he came to this conclusion. And he said, "In a time like this, there are three courses open to a person. Number one, he or she may give way to despair, sour upon the world, and become bitter." become a grouch, a permanent grouch. Number two, he or she may endeavor to drown his or her sorrow with, with drink or drugs or by a life of waywardness and wickedness just completely going off the rail. Or number three, he may turn, she may turn to God. And Sir Henry took that third course that was open to him. And though God did not heal his sorrow by returning his son to him, God became the way and the means that that sorrow became an instrument by which God came into his life and his faith began to develop. And he found the power to endure the pain and to move on and to be a blessing to others. And that in itself is a high form of healing. Healing, not always a physical kind of thing. There are instantaneous cures. There are medical, surgical cures. There's grace to endure. Remember when the Apostle Paul asked that the thorn be removed from his flesh, that it be made well, and he came to the conclusion that God's grace was sufficient for him, even though he still had the ailment. Whatever the form of healing, it takes place as we pray. And I'm reminded, it's easy to forget this one, that ultimate healing for those who believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, ultimate healing is death and beyond in the arms of God. Complete a sentence that begins with the phrase, and as we were praying. And as we were praying, fear was transformed into courage. Fear is a great motivator and it has served as the spark that has ignited many a prayer. We did a course here on courage recently last fall and then again uh, this month earlier in the Let's Talk group. And one of the best definitions of courage that I've ever stumbled across is courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to do the right thing even when we are afraid. Courage can can be transformed, or we can be transformed from fear into courage. This is a, you've probably heard some version of this story. It's one of those stories that goes around and comes around. And anyway, the life raft had been 
at sail at sea had been floating aimlessly for several days when in desperation and fear, one of the usually blasphemous sailors, there were two sailors on board this life raft out in the middle of the ocean. One of the sailors finally got down on his knees and began to pray, oh Lord, have pity on us. Just save us and for the rest of our life we promise. And about that time his friend interrupted him and said, oh no, not so fast. I think I just sighted land. That's not exactly what I have in mind when I talk about transforming fear into courage. I'm not referring to prayers of desperation, though I'm quite sure that when we throw those prayers of desperation up God's way, that God hears those prayers as well. I'm thinking about prayer here as regular, ongoing communion with God, a time when we, as the hymn writer says, commune as friend with friend. And Father Richard Rohr, I read his devotionals most every day and have been blessed by him. And he was talking about prayer this past week, or maybe it was the week before, I jotted some of it down, and about how prayer is not so much a constant talking on our part. When Paul says pray without ceasing, he's not talking so much about talking all the time, but he's talking about living in a stance of prayer, a posture of prayer, the idea that our whole life is bathed in prayer, and prayer is that relationship with God, even when we're not speaking the words of prayer that we so often associate with prayer. God hears those prayers. We commune as friend with friend, and it's more than just crying out in the dark or in the middle of the sea and hoping some stranger might hear us. Have you ever talk to someone, have you ever found out for yourself, gotten a, a bad diagnosis, facing surgery or a procedure or chemotherapy or something else very difficult? Have you ever had that happen to you and the fear just wanted to take over? But as we move along in that process, and we come to know God's caring and God's love, that fear can become courage and, and strength, not necessarily quickly, but it can happen. Have you ever made a visit to someone with whom you needed to have a difficult conversation? It may have been church-related or work-related or school-related or maybe a neighbor. And as you approached that front door and got ready to knock on the door, you were just shaken so badly. But then sometimes just a simple prayer, Father be with me, and it's like the fear drains out through the soles of your shoes and you're able to talk and able to listen. I've been in that place more than once. Many of you have too. And as we pray, fear is transformed into courage. Complete a sentence begins with the phrase, and as we were praying, and as we were praying, doubt was transformed into faith. It's not an awful thing to doubt. People who say they've never doubted anything, never had any doubts, oh goodness, I don't know that you ought to buy a used car from somebody that would tell you that. But it happens, it comes into our lives. It's not sinful to ask those deep soul-searching questions to wonder, where was God when that happened? And 
how am I supposed to know and how do I carry on? But if doubt becomes malignant and takes over and grows to a point, it can be destructive and can overwhelm us. And we need to pray and be in touch with God and ask for help through those times of, of fear and doubt. Stanley Jones, Dr. E. Stanley Jones, and you may recognize that name from days past, said he didn't wonder anymore. He went on to say, for I have gone to my knees in prayer, all broken in, defeated, all in, and have arisen reinforced and new and victorious. Everything within me said I had met God, and I had. You remember when after the crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples had seen the risen Lord, but you know who wasn't there that time? And we like to speculate about where Thomas was. Should have been in church, should have been with the believers. He, he wasn't there. And they told Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And of course, his response that we're all familiar with, unless I see the nail prints, unless I touch, I won't believe. The story is too incredible and it's too far-fetched. And about a week later, Thomas was back with them and Jesus appeared again. And he spoke to Thomas. He said, here, look, touch we don't know if Thomas touched him or not. The, the scripture doesn't tell us that, but he saw and he believed and was overwhelmed. My Lord and my God, he said. You recall what Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Be all of us, wouldn't it? That's you and me. And we believe because we have faith. And we have faith in part because our doubts have been transformed as we were praying. Complete a sentence that begins with the phrase, and as we were praying. And as we were praying, stagnation was transformed into growth. The truth is stagnation, even deterioration, set in when we fail to pray. It happens gradually. We don't even know it sometimes. A little girl said, we don't have prayer in my house. We don't say grace or we don't bless the meal. And nothing's happened yet. <laughs> Not going to, is it? That's right. Nothing except the stagnation, the deterioration that sets in when we fail to pray and commune with God. Deterioration is a, a slow process. Sometimes we don't realize it until it's way, way far along and we scarcely see it taking place and so we're not alarmed. Prayerlessness can be a slow soul rot, so to speak, not a sudden calamity so much. Do you ever feel like your life is just not going anywhere or that you've hit a brick wall? Do you ever feel like you're stuck, not able to see the way forward with your job or maybe at home or maybe in school or wherever life takes you day by day? Not able to stretch your mind's capacity to think and to learn, unable to mature spiritually because it's just not there. What is the state of your prayer life, our prayer life? Persistent prayer is something that prevents stagnation and how much growth in new life has blossomed, how much good has been accomplished as we were praying.
1727, small group of people gathered in a German village. And this event was the beginning of a prayer meeting that lasted for over 100 years. Folks would die and others would come along. And day by day, week by week, a chain of prayer that had been kept going continuously just really drew people in. They gathered to pray. And what followed in the wake of that prayer meeting or those meetings, it was the Moravian Missionary Movement. And in those hundred years, sent out more than a hundred folks, apostles, missionaries, to share the good news. And it was a Moravian, you might remember, Peter Bowler, who was instrumental in the conversion of John Wesley. Had it not been for that prayer meeting and Peter Bowler, who knows what would become of our tradition that we've celebrated in love for so long? Where would we be? What would this church be? Would it even exist? A prayer meeting. And as they were praying, the great Wesleyan revival was birthed and continues to grow. When we fail to pray, we fail to grow. We stagnate and stagnation leads to deterioration. But as we pray, that stagnation is transformed into growth. Complete a sentence that begins with a promise. And as we were praying, one more. And as we were praying, our condemnation was transformed into salvation. Our condemnation, our being lost and wondering about our helplessness. Call the condition what you will in your own life. The only way out is through prayer. And it's been said that prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Only he or she who is helpless can truly pray, someone said. And our helplessness is perhaps our best prayer knowing that we can't do this on our own, that without God's help, it calls directly from our heart to the heart of God when we pray. And God hears our uttered and unuttered pleas. And how many Christians have first become aware of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as they were praying? Maybe that's your story, your experience. Maybe it will be. A young woman came into a pastor's study and for two hours she just poured her heart out in regard to her family situation and career choice she was facing. She talked and he listened. All he did was listen and ask a couple of questions. And as she prepared to leave, was leaving, she said, now I know what I'm going to do. I feel better. Thank you. And all he had done was listen. And if that can occur, and it does occur, I promise you on a strictly human level, how much more so on the divine human level, we pour out our hearts in prayer. And we come to an awareness of what we need to do. And the accompanying peace of mind that comes from being no longer confused and no longer uncertain is liberating. From lost to found, from blind to seeing, it can and it does happen as we pray. Sickness to health, fear to courage, doubt to faith, stagnation to growth, wandering, being lost to salvation. All those things, all those transformations can and do occur as we pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered and his raiment became dazzling white. 
Peter, James, and John were surprised. They were amazed. They were flabbergasted. Why? Because he was transformed. He was changed before their very eyes as he prayed. So how about with you and me? Have we ever been surprised as we pray? Surprised that Jesus still changes things. Amen.